Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. You're listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics. Chris Harrington. I apologize if you have been through the the inevitable technical difficulties that plague show under at Mukigana. Hit me up there and tell me what a terrible job I'm doing today because this is, of course, WWE Q3 call results day. And as usual, I am trying to kick out a show at the very last. I did write an article today over at WrestlingInc.com where I capitalized a lot of my thoughts. I also did a, a quick Wrestling Observer Live appearance with Brian Alvarez and Mike Sempervivi talking about some of my other thoughts. And then since then, of course, WWE gives us a lot of documents. They give us a lot of information. They give us a KPI. They give us earnings call. They give us trending schedules. They give us investor slides. Later, they file a 10Q, which has a bunch more financials in it. They have the transcript, which is up at Seeking Alpha. And it's always a a big interplay between all of the different uh, factors of what WWE is trying to push and what they're trying to say. And, of course, what the investors and the analysts are asking questions about and what they think is the direction WWE should be going in. So if you have some thoughts on that, if you've been listening to the calls, if you've been reading the articles, if you've been glancing through the mountains of paper that they file every single time here, you're welcome to join the conversation. The call in number is 646-668-2171. And I'm happy to take some calls. Uh, Obviously, it takes a little bit of the burden off me because I'm not the king of banter. I'm not even the prince of banter. Uh, I am not even the servant of Bamter. I am just a guy. And uh, after getting a little flustered in the first five minutes here, much like I did last time I did one of these shows, uh, of course, you know, going five minutes of, of great rhetoric and then realizing I was on mute the whole time, 
which hopefully we can edit out before this goes up at thevoicesofwrestling.com, uh, which is a website which has graciously hosted my podcast for several years now and uh, continues to be a, a friend of the show and uh, excited about that. WWE's Q3 results um, was what I would consider a humdrum affair. It was a little bit unsurprising in the sense that they didn't have any big blockbuster announcements. They've run out of countries to say they're going to bring the WWE Network to, save China. They've run out of big TV deals that they say they can sign, save Germany, ProSieben. They've run out of, um, you know, real big initiatives to, to announce. And in a month where we've had a boatload of TNA legal drama, We've had Flow Sports announce their Flow Slam uh, streaming service, where we've seen uh, the brand split really, you know, accelerate and and move into different directions. Here, I, I just really felt like this was a kind of boring quarter, and I can understand if you know people ignored it or were not not expecting it. Even leading up into this, you know. Um, I don't think anybody was asking me questions about where we thought things would land, partially because WWE has managed to really get their wrap their brain around what they think the network is going to end at, or at least average over the quarter. And their predictions, plus or minus 2%, as they say, have not been so far off. And with that in mind, this month's numbers, this quarter's numbers came in, and it was a little bit low. It was a little bit below where... Um, the low end of all their ranges. But at the same time, when you look at it in kind of a grander scheme and you look at it in terms of the, the volume and the, the value and the revenue they're generating, of course, you know, they're, they're on track to once again, break their revenue records this year. Uh, and that's, I think, you know, that's, that's always what they're going to start with here saying that they earned $164 million this quarter um, and OBIT of 24.5 million. And of course, for those of you first time listeners, uh, OBITA is just WWE's favorite way of doing a profit measurement. Essentially, it's operating income before depreciation and amortization. But uh, essentially, right now, what we're seeing is that WWE revenue at 164.2 is a little bit down from 166.2, which was a uh, two years ago number. I'm sorry, one year ago number here. And it was slightly up in terms of OBITO, which was 23.4. And of course, this quarter was 24.5. So if you really dissect that and say, where did they go up and down from this quarter versus last quarter? You know, the network was up by about $4 million. Television rights fees was down by $9 million. Home entertainment, so our DVD sales were down by half a million dollars. Digital media was up by seven hundred k. Live events and travel packages was up by about $2.5 million. Uh, venue merchandise was up by about 200,000. The WWE shop was up by almost one and a half million in WWE studios. Yep. The Scooby-Doo studios was up by almost a million dollars. So the biggest difference there being television, of course, being down this time, uh, because there was a whole bunch of episodes of tough enough and some episodes of total divas that aired last year that did not get replicated in this quarter this year. So that's always going to make a difference. Um, I did say I would take calls. I'm right at the beginning of the show and I have a caller. And you know what? If I ignore my caller now, the chance I'll have another one always goes down precipitously. So I might as well bring on my my uh, esteemed colleague. My name is Chris Harrington. Who's this on the line? Uh, it's Keith Harris from uh, the UK. Keith, my good friend and, and a frequent guest here on Russell Nomics Radio, even though we're a very infrequent show. Uh, Keith, what? 
what time is it right now? I know that's what I ask you every time we talk, but it fascinates me. It's almost uh, two o'clock in the morning. I should be in bed, but I was up writing an article for Cage Side Seats, and I just saw that you were starting your podcast, so I thought I'd call in before bed. What a what a uh, what a frightful way to uh, fill your dreams before you go to bed is talk of this this uh, anemically boring quarter in my mind. What did you think about the WWQ3 earnings? Was there anything that was really surprising to you? I thought the main uh, the main talking point was the investors asking Vince McMahon about whether he would be willing to sell the company. Uh, given you know the recent uh, sale of UFC to WME IMG, and maybe particularly relevant to WWE is uh, DreamWorks Animation being sold to NBC Universal. Obviously, WWE's uh, TV distributors in America. Yeah, and and it was in fact that was a if you recall they even brought that up the same thing last quarter as well, and I, I felt like we got a, a, a variation on their answer. Of course, what was it? We're open for business was what Vince kept saying again and again. And then you know um, I've talked to Brandon Ross, who's at BTIG, and he's really big, of course, on this whole idea that WWE is preparing to sell itself to Comcast or someone else, and he's really big into this idea that this media takeover, this media conglomeration, is going to happen, and. He kept saying to me, well, what if we come up with a deal where Vince gets to keep the power and they, because of course, you know, like a Dana White, we don't want to kick him out. Uh, would, do you think they'd go for it? And I said, well, I think they're always going to say they're going to go for it, but um, they're pretty reluctant to ever really put their money where their mouth is. Nor do I think there's some big suitors that are necessarily lining up right now. Um, do you think that there's some big suitors that have really been bugging WWE to do this beyond just the investors themselves? I, I've got of that. I, I mean, the key to WWE, though, selling WWE would not be just controlling Vince McMahon's future, which I think a lot, a lot of people would be confident in Vince McMahon running the company while he's still healthy and uh, active. It would be that Vince would want to control the destiny of his children's future, uh, most notably uh, Stephanie McMahon and her husband, Paul Levesque, and her, their children as well. And I, I don't see a major company being willing to not only keep Vince McMahon in charge, but also uh, be willing to accept that maybe the next generation would have to be in charge as well, because they're they're much more unproven as uh, owners and uh, runners of a business than uh, Vince McMahon. Absolutely. And I think, you know, even if I was a George Berrios out there, I wouldn't want external, um, you know, another company coming in because just like WME has been, you know, kind of uh, uh, decimating the UFC top ranks in terms of management and putting their own people in, you have to imagine Vince is someone who's, famously fickle but famously loyal as well and so you know someone like george who seems to really have escaped out his own little uh, fiefdom you, you have to wonder you know a stephanie mcmahon or a hunter would they really be accepted by another form of leadership uh especially with the kind of 
mentality that Vince has brought to the entire idea of how you run a wrestling organization, which of course Stephanie, I believe, has has very much modeled herself against, you know, being her, that that kind of absolute power, this one person who makes all the right decisions. And uh, I, I do think that you could see a little analysis paralysis if someone else was running WWE in terms of not being as decisive as sometimes WWE likes to kind of be. And at the same time, I could see them really deviating from some of the core um, plans that WWE has set itself out to do, specifically around would they basically let someone else use their name but do their own thing? And so far, WWE has really not wanted to license their content to other people. For the most part, they want to own their content. They want to control their content. And if they even want to go into another marketplace, they still run the ship. You know, they might partner with someone, but they're still in charge. It's not like Rogers is running its own WWE show up in Canada. They're partners at, at the very uh, least. Yeah, and, and given the way the business is structured, which is you know now the WWE network is so important, it makes sense that they they control their content so so strictly in a lot of ways. So I mean, I'm not not sure I'm not sure the business is set up in in quite the same way as maybe a UFC where it it makes sense for them to to sell really. Sure. I mean, I do think, and this was something I really wished, you know, as usual, that someone would have brought up is I do think that there's some opportunities right now that since there's such this big revision going on at UFC, you know, the guy that was running Fight Pass, uh, Marshall, as a Z in his name, he's left the company. And thank you. Yes, him. And, And to me, he would seem like such a natural person to at least, you know, do something with for WWE Network unless he, there's a non-compete involved where, you know, guys like that it seems like they would have some experience about the idea of promoting a streaming service that is being marketed to a niche group of fans. And what are the things that you can learn from your competitor in this space? But, um, you know, that that rarely comes up as much as the idea that, hey, hey, what if Disney buys you or hey, what if you swap stock with Comcast? Well, I think I think investors, you know, to a degree, you know, if if Vince sells, they're going to get a payout. So, I mean, yeah, I I can see that it makes sense from a business perspective to, you know, the synergy you can get by being part of a bigger organization. Although wrestling history um, with the WCW perhaps suggests against that, you know. In, for wrestling, uh, but but I I can see that investors are more gung ho on on sort of you know them selling to a much bigger conglomerate because they they will be paid paid out as part of that sale. So people were asking me today, what's left to make WWE exciting for investors? And I said, well, you know, there's the China option which i still think is overblown but at the same time if you're talking what makes investors excited china makes investors excited what else do you think they have in their arsenal right now that they could temp they could roll out that would you know be that big blockbuster thing left i don't i don't know if there is anything i suppose the big thing for wwe is they they get such uh good social media numbers whether that you know, 
whether as the uh, landscape, media landscape changes, whether that becomes more important. So you can actually get significant money streams from a YouTube or a Twitter or a Facebook, which don't exist today. But, but, but that, that isn't going to be something that happens overnight. And I think that that is something they stress to investors is that, you know, we're, we're positioned very well for the long haul. You know, they haven't, it doesn't seem like they've got any big ideas that will really, um, you know, entice investors um, in the future, um, other than maybe, you know, they're making some strategic investments as well, for example, in flow sports, and uh, I think a couple of other companies that if they take off, you know, um, you know, their investment will pay off and they'll make a lot of money out of that. If, you know, for example, Flow Sports becomes a, a huge uh, company in their own right. Yeah, you make a good point about the investment. So, of course, this was the first time that uh, they could announce any tap out results. And they chose to basically ignore tap out, even though if you dig into their 10Q, it does say that you know they made some money on tap out and they spent some money and they have to split it with other people and it's a a couple hundred thousand dollars as far as I can tell, um, but they they do mention that they invested two and a half million dollars this past quarter one million in a quote fantasy sports contest provider, so you wonder is that a DraftKings is that a uh, someone else is that a new upstart uh, a million in a subscription based sports media company which I have to believe is the the flow sports investment that we've all heard about. And two hundred fifty thousand in a virtual reality platform operator, and um, I don't know exactly what that would be. Of course, I think there was that time when we saw something with Oculus and and WWE, but I don't know if that's really an investment opportunity for them. But I uh, I agree with you that there's not a lot left. I guess they if they were to say buy another major wrestling company in another part of the world, I'm talking like a New Japan or AAA or something. You could imagine there being a situation where you could say, okay, if they did a real worldwide expansion and they were buying into an organization rather than even trying to start it from the ground up, maybe that there'd be some synergies or or opportunity there where you could see some big returns quickly. Because even if you were to say, hey, WWE is going to buy TNA, we as experienced professionals know, oh my gosh, what a lot of debt and and chaos and unlikely mm-hmm. they're going to do anything with it. But I could see the investors being excited by it just because to them, hey, if number one buys number two, quote unquote, uh, isn't that great, you know? And, and so it's that kind of unsophisticated understanding of the wrestling marketplace. So I agree with you. I think they actually probably have better hit if they accidentally get the next tout that goes through the roof than maybe even a WWE driven uh, solution of their own. Well, the the odd thing about the whole flow sports uh, deal is that you know, you know, it, it seems like flow flow sports by signing up with um, Evolve, you know, sort of beat WWE to to the punch at something an obvious thing that they could have used to um, perhaps do some sort of tiered service where they they charge more to get these independent wrestling promotions are so maybe five dollars more or ten dollars more um, and you know provide further live wrestling content uh, which would be relatively cheap programming you know uh, because the production values aren't aren't quite as high 
and um, you know, it, it seems like maybe WWE has missed the boat a little bit by being so, um, in a lot of ways, so isolationist and you know wanting to control you know control everything that's on their own networks, so to speak. Yeah, and they've talked a lot about how they've they've really improved their data analytics and their customer profiling this year. And I specifically heard from one analyst that, hey, you know, you like that Cruiserweight show? Well, that was developed based on our, their profiling that they were doing at the time. Whether I believe that or not 100%, I'm sure it's, you know, an amalgamation of many people's ideas. But one of the reasons it probably did get greenlighted and pushed through was because they thought, hey, this might actually have some impact. And I think for the most part, it really was a turning point for WWE of kind of acknowledging, hey, there are wrestlers from other companies around the world. And these wrestlers, there's some interesting footage of them and then, you know, kind of wetting everyone's appetite. And so I, I did sort of see that as, hey, we're laying a little bit of the groundwork to maybe say we want to dip our toe in that water. But you're right. Flow Sports, Flow Slam has this five-year deal with them. I do question whether Flow Sports is going to, you know, they have the right to redistribute the content, but I don't think they're owning any of this content. And of course, that's always been a big sticking point for WWE is they're not big fans of trying to redistribute someone else's stuff, which is one of the reasons that we don't have the WWE Studios movies on the WWE Network is just because that's not theirs to own. And so I, I do wonder if Flow Sports is you know going to pay a lot of money to try and get 10,000 or 15,000 subscribers and Ultimately, WWE, that's a drop in the bucket to them, you know, is, is a $10,000 wash one or 10,000 subscriber wash one way or the other way. So I, I think it, it hinders them from their ability to quickly monopolize on it. Uh, the fact they're an investor makes it such a strange picture. But, but the fact that it's probably only a million dollars says to me, WWE probably doesn't have the ability to exert any influence over flow sports short of saying uh, that they're probably frustrated that independent content might start costing a little bit more if if uh, they're going around and kind of throwing big bucks at people. I do wonder about things like, you know, the NWA library that Bruce Tharp has been running, whether or not that they will make a deal with Flow Sports in the, the near future for something like that. Well, it, it sounds like, you know, I think this will be not the only deal that Flow Sports makes, and it will be, you know... Uh, not a rival to WWE, but but maybe maybe you know in the second tier, so maybe on a par with a New Japan World, you know, probably obviously smaller than UFC Fight Pass, but you know, it'd be interesting to see how well they do because I think the the key thing with uh, WWE is that if an evolve was you know on the WWE network then you, WWE can promote it and a lot more people would be willing to, you know, maybe tempted to pay money to actually see it. Whereas the, the problem with them on uh, uh, Flow Slam is that, you know, the only way you can see Evolve is on Flow Slam. Um, so there's no way for them to be exposed to the product. With the know, exception or, of, or you know, that... They're launching this, you know, universal pass to the service. And, you know, we've talked about it a little bit more one way of saying, hey, wouldn't it be neat if, you know, wrestling fans get to watch the marching band competition? But there is a, a 
backwards, you know, synergy where, you know, there's going to be some grappling fans and there's going to be some amateur wrestling fans who might have this past, who might be interested in the amateur wrestling, or, I mean, the professional wrestling, indie wrestling that uh, Flow, Flow Slam will offer in the future here. So, you know, maybe they will grow their profile a little bit in that direction as well. Uh, in that some people might be exposed to independent wrestling that previously would never be seeing it. Uh, but I agree with you completely that the lens that WWE brings to something is so much bigger than almost anyone else trying to do anything. You know, it's really the difference between Bellador, Bellator running something and UFC running something and at a much, much bigger level than even that. It's probably better to say like, you know, King of Cage versus UFC or something would be a better uh, uh, analogy. But of course, you know, if they get the PWG library or something like that, I do think they'll get a little bit of um, that niche market. You know, it's all about the niche marketing. And there's a lot of independent retailers out there, High Spots and and uh, uh, Lucha uh, Loot and all these other people that are going out there and doing stuff right now and really marketing to a very small corner of the internet and they're making money doing it. So perhaps there's there's an opportunity there and it sounds like Flow Sports has enough deep pockets to deal with this. And uh, I'm really going to be curious whether or not it's going to be terrible production streamed wonderfully or whether we'll actually see some improvement in the production quality for any of these other independents that are getting involved here or what exactly will be that cutoff. Because I'm sure everybody and their brother, you know, that runs a small indie fed would love to be part of Flow Slam because just the notoriety alone would seem like it's a big deal. But what that cutoff will be in terms of how professional something has to be before they're interested in playing. I think it'll be very similar to Ring of Honor on Sinclair, given that the, I think I I was looking into this with the Evolve deal, that Evolve will still be in charge of the production. So they they may get some help from Flow Slam, uh, but, you know, I'm sceptical whether they'll be, you know, putting in a lot of money in terms of upping Evolve's production outside of say evolve may may now have a bit more money to spend so that that always helps in terms of these these things so switching gears back to wwe uh they announced today that they want for 2017 to have a business that will set all-time revenue records and specifically hit a hundred million dollars of obita so this year, they said that um, I think they were planning to finish somewhere around 80, I want to say, because they're already at four, three quarters of the year. They're already at 60, um, maybe not even 80, 65 or 67 or something like that for this year. But uh, they want to hit 100 next year. And so people were asking me, well, where are they going to get the growth from? Where is all this extra money coming from? Because from all outward signs, you know, it's not like we're going to run WrestleManias that are much bigger than this year's WrestleMania. It doesn't look like live events are necessarily taking off like gangbusters with the brand split. Uh, TV rights are going to continue to go up. And so that's essentially profit money, every dollar above what they're making now. But at the same time, the network, you know, it's going to grow pretty slowly. They said it's going to grow slower than this year, which makes me think if we're at 1.4 something this year for the whole year, and they say they're going to grow slower. It was 25% growth this year. That puts them somewhere around 1.7, 1.6 next year, which is a little bit more, but still not a ton more profit, especially because the profit margin of the network is so much lower. You know, it's like 25% compared to the 50% they used to get on pay-per-view. So my question to you, Keith, uh, experienced writer at, at uh, Cage Side Seats, 
Uh, tell me where you think WWE is going to make this money in 2017. I, I'm wondering whether the WWE network, they'll be a bit leaner in terms of, you know, how, how much, you know, investment they they put in terms of new programming and, and things like that. I, I mean, I think, uh, you know, maybe this year, you know, they, they, they front-ended a lot of spending, I think, in terms of making new programming. I, I, I'm just wondering whether they know they know what works and what doesn't work in terms of viewership, so they know better where to sp- what, which programming to spend money on and what not to spend money on. So I, 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 and the- I think, I, you know, it, it, it's mainly incremental increases in deals here maybe being a bit leaner in places there hoping that they can squeeze out enough extra uh, subscribers on the network but i i don't think it's any big changes to get to this number it's just making sure everything clicks basically in in terms of you know the the, the business model i agree and i think um, one thing we will see is I do think year over year we're going to see more house shows next year compared to this year. And specifically, I think it's just going to be a, a volume model where they're going to keep pushing ticket prices up. You know, it was up a few like 3% North American ticket prices this quarter over last year. And we're just going to see volume. We're just going to see more and more shows because house shows are still profitable. They have to sink to a pretty low TNS level for them to not be profitable. And so uh, with two brands, that also gives them a little bit more flexibility when it comes to international touring because you can, say, have the Raw guys leave on a Tuesday rather than having to wait until after SmackDown or vice versa. You can keep you know the SmackDown guys one more day before they have to get to television on a Tuesday. I do think we're going to see international markets get pounded a little bit harder, and we're already beginning to see that in the sense that you know they're, they're going back to South America and they're hitting China. Um, a couple times a year now and things in India and these places that in the past they hadn't. And, you know, I don't think India necessarily is going to drive a lot of revenue for them, but obviously they're always looking for anything else they can get. And with these local partnerships, you never know, maybe they will be able to get, you know, kind of TNA-esque money from a place like India where you'll have local sponsors and and get paid shows and things like that, which can do well. And hey, uh, Great Khali just drew some absurd number of people to some stadium in the middle of uh, India with uh, Michael Tarver, among other people on the show. So who's <laughs> to say what can and can't be done? Um, monetizing the NXT brand, I think we're continuing to see that. I got to go see NXT live about a month, month and a half ago, and uh, it was great. It was a fun show. It was neat to see. I do have to say I was a little disappointed by the attendance up in Minneapolis slash St. Paul, where it really was, but it was called NXT Mini because they started in Minneapolis and didn't realize there was a Vikings game that day. Um, but, <laughs> you know, it, it was funny to me that, that you know, they couldn't even draw 2,000 people probably where I was in Minneapolis. So it says a lot that the NXT brand still has a long way to go. I think I figured out that their average, uh, you know, non-televised NXT show, not including that Florida loop, that they do was about 1600 people, which is a good number of people, but for a WWE house show, it'd be really, really small. You know, they barely ever draw below 2000 people. They've done it about six times this year. They've done it about six times over the last two years um, before that. But 
that's really small for WWE. You know, they like they prefer to have three, four, five thousand at a, a show normally. So I think they're just going to run a volume model for a little while. And like you said, they're going to get a lot of TV money. And I do think they might be overspending on the WWE Network, which, of course, nobody who loves the WWE Network loves to hear. But, you know, I do question whether or not that they're, uh, you know, are these new shows the Holy Foley's of the world? Are they really captivating viewers all that much? Here's my last question for you, Keith, because uh, I do want you to sleep today so that you you write only coherently <laughs> for tomorrow. But um, they said for the end of the year, they thought 1.4 million average subscribers for Q4. That's the Brock Goldberg quarter. Um, that's going to be a drop of 40,000 viewers, um, subscribers, something like that, from where they are right now. Do do you Are you surprised by that? In, in the sense that they think they're going to continue to drop in Q4, is it just inevitable? Or do you really think this Brock Goldberg thing could have been a real draw to, you know, get some new subscribers and hooked in here and actually grow it for the quarter? I, I think their projections would be based on, you know, past data, and it doesn't take into the account that they've got a, uh, a match during this quarter that is surprisingly strong and could drive uh, subscribers up. And I think it's a real, real test to see whether, you know, whether a match in this day and age can, can drive up uh, numbers like momentarily. It's, it's very hard to see, see today because we only get quarterly numbers, not let's say numbers after each, you know, major show they do whether you know how how you know which matches are drawing today and which matches aren't from a a network standpoint or or whether it's just you know you know people people like keep the you know keep most people keep the network 12 months of the year and there's just a slow erosion during the the um you know, quieter, quieter months of the WWE calendar in terms of major shows. I think they have such a huge opportunity with this Goldberg match because I've had so many people contact me, contact my wife at law school and say, Goldberg's back. Can you believe it? And they get so excited. And these are the same people who do not realize WWE Network exists now. They still think WWE is doing $60 pay-per-views. And if you say to them, hey, you know what's, you know, it's even cheaper than Netflix right now. You could see that match for 10 bucks and you would get this subscription service and there's all this cool content on it. And it feels like to me, this is such a huge opportunity to capture those lapsed fans, those WCW fans, those people that were run off in even 2004, 2005. People that might not have even seen Goldberg's run from WWE the first time. But I, I think if you don't capitalize on it now with some kind of out-of-the-box marketing, you know, there's nobody left after Sting now that is really going to be a draw that you can put back on WWE TV that's going to make these people think, oh, that's this guy's a real wrestler still without it being a really sad nostalgia act. So I do hope WWE gets their act together for being able to promote this match. And I do have a sense, much like many others do, that this probably won't be the final Goldberg match that, you know... They'll probably leave the door open and do something else with it um, down the line for either, you know, Rumble or more likely even WrestleMania just to continue to uh, kind of capitalize on on the momentum that Bill is hopefully building right now. But all things being equal, WWE will find a way to surprise us, and they always do. 
Uh, Keith, can you get your plugs in? Tell uh, tell any of the listeners that uh, how they can read some more stuff that you're working on right now. Um, so you can my my articles are at uh, kslidespeaks.com, and you know if people want to follow me on Twitter, I'm uh, Glasgow KJH on Twitter. Terrific. Well, Keith, I appreciate you calling in. I had all these technical difficulties when I started the show, so I was so happy that someone else is out there because at least it reassured me I wasn't just talking in to an empty microphone to, for no reason. So have a great night. Have a great night of sleep. And uh, thanks for writing. We'll keep in touch. Yep, definitely. Uh, have a great rest <coughs> of the show. That was friend of the show, Keith Harris from Cage Side Seats, giving us some of his thoughts of the lowdown of what he was thinking when he was reading through. Keith has uh, been a longtime wrestlematrician uh, who has, has definitely analyzed all of the numbers and under listens to the speeches and remembers the details from call to call. And I think that's always so important is it's funny as I've done this for years and years now to see which names, the Robert Roos of the world, you know, kind of stick with it from, from call to call and which people kind of come and go as, as uh, uh, the whimsy hits them. Even Lauren uh, Martin wasn't uh, the Needham representative today. And it was kind of shocking to me because she's almost always there and, and, you know, loves to talk to Vince, but um. We are talking about some of the results for this month. Uh, I was talking about the difference uh, of how they were down almost nine million in television rights due to all the episodes of Tough Enough and Total Divas that did not air, and um, of course, on an obita basis, they were up about one point one million. But that one point one million was driven by nearly six million more on television rights. You know, they were down on network, they were down on home entertainment, they were down on digital media, they were down on live events, they were down two and a half million. This was a big one on licensing and they were down almost 3 million on corporate and other, which has been something that, you know, if you really dig in to what has changed the most over the last five years on a profit standpoint, they're at a very similar place to where they were five years ago under the pay-per-view model from a uh, spend standpoint. It's funny to see just how much money they have spent on um, uh, things when it comes to, for instance, uh, the Obeda on corporate and other in 2012 corporate and other Obeda was 85 million right now. It's 133 million. It's gone up by $50 million over the last five years. Meanwhile, television has jumped from 37 million to 88 million. These are nine month numbers. So I'm trying to kind of keep a comparable time period. So 37 million to 88 million on television. Meanwhile, the network total Obeda profit $35 million of profit. In the first nine months of 2012, that was a pay-per-view model. The first nine months of 2016, 28 million. I mean, it's actually lower. So essentially where that comes from is the fact that on revenue, revenue for the network segment, that's, you know, pay-per-view plus video on demand plus network, uh, went from 73 million to 137 million. So basically doubled, but the profitability went in half. So you could either get your pay-per-view at 50% or you can get your network sub at 25% OBITA. And, you know, that's that's an interesting situation because WWE will argue that they're getting great value from knowing so much more about their consumers, that they have this data analytics package and this ability to create the WWE network as a direct connection between them and their viewers. And it's an interesting proposition because, of course, 
it opens the gateway. You know, we're talking about what could be that breakthrough idea beyond breakthrough idea for uh, WWE. And, and, you know, if they could turn the WWE network into a hub where it's e-commerce, it's a ticket seller, it's your ability to get pre-sale tickets, it's your um, uh, gamification station, it has uh, the ability for you to do Fantasy League, and it has all these other things built into it. There might be some really interesting possibilities to market it and to really push it to the next level. But at the same time, you know, we've seen them work heavily with tops and do all the digital card trade stuff. And yet licensing fees are way down this quarter. And so it just it kind of strikes me that, you know, even licensing, which was up near the 70 percent range, is down to the 60 percent range in terms of percentage of OBITA. Um, so things have really changed. The corporate spend has just gone through the roof. The live event OBITA has um, is basically flat this year versus last year, though we were only at 21 percent for this quarter. And the reason for that, according to WWE, was that basically they ran an event in a um, emerging market. Uh, I would have to look more deep to see which market they're talking about. But my gut is it was probably um, when they went to South America, maybe when they were doing uh, Ecuador or something like that. Uh, that was a different cost. WWE as a whole, you know, lots of revenue. And, and Obit is not by any means, you know, zero again, like it was really scary during that first launch here. But it just really strikes me when you go back to that initial launch presentation and see the numbers they were talking about doing a million domestic, no problem, is the low end. Well, they just hit a million domestic now. And we've been at this thing for two and a half years. And when they were talking about three to four million worldwide, it's getting tough to imagine a world where we're going to see even two million uh, WWE Network subscribers. Uh, and it's going to be a very long, slow haul. And I think Dave Meltzer had a really good analysis when he was talking about, you know, even the free trial syndrome is beginning to wear down on people where Netflix really has this destination programming and this ability to continually produce in so many different genres and, you know, is, is a cord cutter's favorite, whereas WWE Network you know, is not really producing in such a volume to hit all these different demographics that they're going to be able to necessarily draw people in on those free trials beyond people either gaming the system or people that just want to see a single single thing. So uh, I, I don't know. I think it would be more, probably more effective if they turned it into a sometimes a year event, a sometimes food, not a, not a you know, not an always food. Um, we were prodded by questions throughout the the Q&A where they asked Vince and George, will you sell the company? And, you know, Vince just basically said, you know, we'll do what's best for business and we're open for business and we're business people. Uh, when they asked about the fan council, which was all those different price tiers that Keith alluded to, uh, the idea that there'd be a free tier where you could maybe watch the linear channel, but not necessarily the pay-per-views um, and some archival footage. Uh, there would be a $5 tier that would be a mobile optimized here so it'd be for tablets or for your mobile devices which i think is really really clever because i think that's something that you know even in places like india where we've talked about it where youtube in india is run differently because it's a mobile driven culture and it's not a broadband driven culture i do think this mobile driven opportunity for them might be huge even at five dollars uh the ten dollar tier being very similar to what we have now and then a fifteen dollar tier or even a, a a more expensive tier where there would be premium content and then there would be uh the ability to have, uh, uh, you know, independent wrestling. And of course, this was a fan survey, a fan council, as they call it. So it's not like they're saying this was their plans and, and they're asking for final sign off. They were gauging interest for different things. 
So it's going to be complicated to really understand uh, whether or not they're going to ever pull the trigger on something like that. Speaking of pulling the trigger, I'm going to pull the trigger on a caller right now. Uh, I have a caller coming here from area code 716, which used to belong to Rochester, but was stolen away by Buffalo. Uh, I can only guess who this caller is, but caller, will you please identify yourself? It's Brandon Howard. Brandon, how are you doing? Uh, Chris, I'm, my, um, I'm fine. It's, it's, a ho- it's a holiday today. It's like a holiday that comes it, four times a year. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I don't do a lot of WrestleNomics uh, radio shows. And I think it was two times ago I had a very similar show because I think Keith called in and you called in. So and that was like our, yeah. our 2015 year in recap show. So uh, I'm, yeah. I'm excited to know that, uh, you know, 10 months later we're back on it. Uh, you got to cover the call today. Uh, I was desperately trying to live blog it for the uh, uh, Wrestling Observer uh, Twitter feed, and it's so difficult to capture the Q&A questions because George loves to talk in more than 140 characters at once per sentence. And it goes so fast that it's yeah. like a blur, and it's exhausting for me. So I don't know. Did you have to try to – did you try to capture it in real time, or did you kind of write down your thoughts and then just blog it slowly? Yeah, I, I just listened to it and, and like tweeted stuff as it was going on. It's it's always weird because like they, they'll ask a question and and like George Barrios will never really I mean usually not directly answer the question. He always sort of makes his sales pitch or says what he gets gets to say what he wants to say rather than actually answer the question. But yeah, it's weird to try to you know, transcribe and, and sometimes I miss questions and sometimes you you know somebody asks a question and like who who, who was that was that Eric Cax or I don't know. Well, I mean, there was the there's a couple times where I transcribe something and then I almost want to be like I, I can either transcribe or I can give commentary and it's hard for me to do both. And there was Eric Katz yeah. called in the second time and he says said something like you guys are doing terrific with your ratings. And I, all I could think is Raw's down 14 percent. It's worse than yeah, USA. It's worse. Than, and it's like, what are you talking about? But it's hard to like yeah. switch modes when you're trying to live blog. It. So it's uh, like, I, yeah, I wanted to do the emoji. of. Clear. Yeah, exactly. So I was shocked by one thing. And this was something you and I had talked about a couple days before the, the call today that they announced that WWE attendance for Q3 was actually 5,300 for North America per show. And that was up from a year ago and i would have guessed dollars to donuts that they were going to be down this quarter were you surprised by that attendance number not really um i did a i did a spreadsheet the other day looking at whether house show attendance because we've been talking about um that spreadsheet that, that i've got with all the house show numbers that we're extracting from the observer results um and what i found was house show house show attendance in q3 is slightly up from q2 and where is it from? It's it's a little down. I've, I've got house show tenants a little down from Q3 2015 compared to 2016. So, yeah. I mean, it's not terribly surprising because, you know, you think about, like, I think the last time I looked at it, I haven't looked at it for all the way up to, to the present in, in 2016. But I think when I looked at it last time, I think raw attendance was slowly up this year from last year and things like that. So I think like what you see is, you know, pay-per-view attendance, TV attendance, raw attendance is maybe doing a little little stronger than before. And, you know, house show attendance is getting maybe a little weaker. You know, I think that's just the nature. Of yeah, WWE I think. Right I, now, we're, I think SmackDown Live is stronger for sure, and the attendance of SmackDown has probably gone up 
uh, even though, you know, people might be surprised to hear that, but it's still probably better than it was a year ago. You know, a live show on yeah, a that, Tuesday that, that, does get a lot I more people. Yeah, that's something I definitely want to look into because I don't like you can. I, I did the, the big 2015 uh, attendance study last year at the at the end of the year, and I found like SmackDown attendance was really just comparable to North American house show attendance. It really wasn't that much better. I think it, the average was like maybe in the high five thousands or something like that, and, and the house show attendance was about five thousand as well. So I, but that but that's obviously before the brand split. So. I, I, I haven't looked into it yet, but I, I think that's got to be helping their SmackDown TV taping. The other one being, you know, John Cena has been very selective of which shows he's worked this year. He was injured for a large portion of the year. When he came back, he was on the SmackDown loop, and he's been working very few shows. And so, again, without, you know, Cena as a, a marquee star, I did think that would have a negative effect on the uh, attendance there. And uh, it, it doesn't seem like it was such a big deal. But, you you've you know, you've looked at it quite a lot. Cena, as far as I've ever been able to tell, is still the only major star that seems to move attendance enough that you can measure it. Yeah, I, we're seeing. I'm, I, I was looking at the prospectus just a minute ago before I called in. I think we're seeing Seth Rollins, and maybe the sample size really isn't big enough. It's something we got to look at as time goes on. But Seth Rollins, just this year, is making like a 15% difference, but that's off of probably mm. a dozen shows or something like that. Um, but we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, and Johnson and I mean, uh, there was a like, Cena show in in October that I think drew less than two thousand people. So it's not like it's a a, yeah, yeah. Uh, a no fail formula. So it's it's been strange because there has been uh, some shows, especially in October, that have been really small shows, uh, but they're running so many more now. I think they're just going to make money just through a volume model in terms of just run show after show after show after show, and and eventually, you know. Uh, as long as uh, you can be profitable on every one of them, you'll make more money than you made the year before because it just the number of things and, of course, some international directions that they're going. Uh, what was your take on any of the other Q&A that was going on specifically around, um, you know, they, they were asked about the WWE fan survey and, and, and Berrios just said, don't read too much into it. But did you sense that, you know, that's something that you, they would be rolling out in the next six to ten months? As far as tiers or the indie content? Or any of that, I guess. Uh, let's um, start with tears. Yeah, I, I think tears is something I would. My feeling, my guess is that's something they're strongly considering. I think that's something they'll do. Maybe in 2017. Maybe if, if I were them, maybe around a, a WrestleMania. Because um, I, I think there's there's definitely they can get more out of people than 9.99. I understand the attractiveness in they, what they say. We like to have one one price point throughout the world, which which may actually be true or not, but they, I understand the attractiveness of wanting to have a really low price point to get people in at the beginning of the service in the first few years or whatever, but there's obviously uh, their fan base, especially I think as time is going on, is very loyal, and you've got a lot of people who will be very willing to pay more than nine ninety nine, especially if you can entice them with some sort of extra content or extra deal. Now, you're someone who has spent a lot of time looking into the WWE social metric numbers, their engagement numbers and whatnot. And, you know, the point was made that essentially they're trying to build up three platforms. They're trying to build up a TV rights deal. They're trying to build up an AVOD, which is their ad supported video views. So more like a YouTube. And they're trying to build up their SVOD service, their, their WWE network. What were your thoughts on what's been happening with their social media numbers and their engagement numbers? 
And will there be the day when they can make some money off of this? Or is it going to continue just to be, are we talking 2019? Or do you think that they're on the cusp of it right now? I don't know. I mean, we saw that the KPI today and um, video views were actually down for the first time. Uh, they had yeah, the global hours. A few years. Yeah, I was really surprised to see. The global are, are global hour views has has dropped q1 was 154 million q2 was 135 q3 was 121 and q4 of last year was 120 so we're basically back to where we were a year ago um global views is hovering somewhere around 4 billion or 3.8 billion um and to be honest it's never clear exactly what does all this stuff mean you know we've talked before maybe they can never go down uh, apparently it can, <laughs> but I, I don't well, these, know what it means. Go down, but obviously, like uh, social media followers will will never go down unless like social media platforms disappear or fold or something like that. Maybe Twitter's going to fold someday. But but you know, obviously, people don't go out of their way to to unfollow WWE or whatever, and not in large numbers anyway. But views can go down if people just watch it less. Or, or oh, I, I I think what's happening is you got. You know, video views are exploding on YouTube for them, and I think maybe we're seeing it finally reach its maturity. Um, I mean, like next quarter, we'll tell. If time goes on, we'll, we'll know more. But if, if, if that's the case, you got YouTube views reaching their maturity, and you look at that digital media section of their business, which is not terribly profitable or you know lucrative. So that tells me how much money really is there in in Avod for them. Maybe maybe not a lot. I don't know. I know in the survey though they had questions about um, that we're going to have like a free version of it, which, which would be ad supported. Right. You saw that. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great idea because, you know, there's channels out there. There's crackle. Um, I, I watch a, um, gosh, what is it called? There's a channel that has all these MST3K and other stuff on there and it's all ad supported free television. And I watch it on my Roku and I love it. It's just like, I don't like watching ads for stuff. They don't drive me nuts. And uh, if it's a free channel, I, I'm more likely to watch things with that. And so I, I do think WWE has got a good marketing opportunity there. I just think they have to carefully curate what they offer for that. But I think even if you put the linear stream up and you're not going to include pay-per-views, it would be a pretty decent opportunity for people. And I think you could badger people into subscribing in the same way with the $5 mobile platform. I think that they're underutilizing mobile heavily right now. And I really think that's something they should concentrate on because we found disproportionately lower income people are more likely to watch video through, you know, a mobile device and people of color are more likely to use mobile devices. And so I, I think it will help them both in those kind of communities and also international communities that aren't necessarily broadband reliant, you know, the Indias of the world. So I do think that they have some opportunity with that even free tier and maybe even a discounted mobile only tier, tablet mobile. But uh, messaging for them is tough. And I think they're really terrified that if they put out more than one price point, people are going to freak out in one way or another. Yeah. I, I think like on balance, so they have more to gain in, in tearing it out. I don't know. I mean, like I, I like the line from George Barrios today where he said, um, the, the crystal ball is cloudy. And he's talking about the, you know, the future of media and what TV rights deals are going to be like when the renewal comes up in 2019. I mean, I, I wonder if, if, I think he really believes that, that they don't really know what's, what's going to happen. And I think we agree that that's the case too. It's, it's too early to tell. But I wonder if they, they, one of the ideas, one of the, one of the scenarios could be they've got the, the, the free tier of the network that includes 
maybe Raw and SmackDown ad-supported, but if you subscribe, you get it commercial-free, and then you get the pay-per-views and all that stuff. If we ever come to a day where, where WWE actually decides to, to go um, on their own or, or just with the WWE Network and goes off some traditional television, I mean, that seems like and I think, I know, a possibility. I think the bellwether for all this will be any of the other sports renewals that are going to be coming up in the next three years here. Um, UFC, I almost feel will be a, a good one because I'm pretty sure they're going to have to negotiate before WWE. And that will be a really interesting one to say, okay, here's this really highly prized brand that draws decent television numbers when it's, it's being put on here, you know, even for FS1, F, they usually don't draw as well as raw, as far as I understand, uh, Fox obviously is much larger reach. So you're going to do much better, but, um, just to see what kind of money they can shell out. And I think the WME connection is going to really play well for them. And so they'll probably get the high end of the deal, but it will be interesting to see what sports are left that haven't signed longer term deals. And maybe there'll be an ML MLS or premier league type deal that we can look at as well. Uh, just to see is the bubble burst. And with these, even with NFL ratings, you know, kind of struggling this year in some places uh, to see, how how the markets are reacting to all of that and you know every week i read two articles one article telling me that you know this is infallible and and it's going to live forever and the other article telling me the sky is falling so it's it's hard sometimes to know which way the wind is blowing when it comes to tv ratings but it's sure interesting to see how a single you know rock within a year can be losing 13 14 percent and whether or not they would even you know be able to negotiate deals where it just produced less content for the same amount of money and whether that could be a win for us. But, it, you know, I don't know if I could take three more years to have to wait to get to that situation. Yeah. I, I think if they had their, their renewal up today, they would they would get a, a deal about worth what, what they've got right now. But we just don't know what it's going to be like in, in 2019. Probably the negotiations are probably going to happen in like spring. If, if, if last round is any indication, probably like spring 2019. And like, I guess hey, who knows? Maybe favor. Yeah. Oh, they could go but, join the AT and T Time Warner channel that will emerge in the next three years. They, they could. I don't know. I, I don't think Vince McMahon is going to let somebody else uh, control his destiny like that. Uh, what, what do you think about those those questions? I, I, I heard you talking to Keith. Maybe you already, already answered this, but no, no. I mean, there's plenty to. I, I think the mantra of Vince McMahon is that um, he never wants to say no because, of course, anything's right. possible with Vince. I think he has been coached heavily because of the lawsuits over the takeover rumors or over the um, uh, uh, TV deal that they have to be very careful what they say on these calls when it comes to forward-looking projections and anything about their gut feel or what they would do or would not do. And so I almost feel like that they've they've become more and more generic over the last three, four years here, just because Vince is not willing to go out on a limb anymore and kind of tell it like it is. And, you know, kind of give you one of those Vince McMahon guarantees where he would say something like, you know, a McMahon will be in the, the seat of this company until the day I die, you know, something like that, which I could have seen him saying. <laughs> 10 years ago when he used to fight with shareholders on these calls, uh, you know, there was famously a shareholder who once called up and accused them of using the company to enrich only the family and ignored all the 
the uh, the shareholders. And it was a there's a figure four weekly about it Go, going back to the days when Brian used to write it uh, that I'll have to find. And maybe I'll, I'll post a link to it for people on Twitter. But, yeah, just those so kind of very spirited calls. Uh, I feel like he was. I feel like he was a shareholder and he was asking a question or he, he was like an equity shareholder, like, you know, from, you know, like there's the Lionel group that owns a huge percentage. And so it's one of those type things where they owned a huge block of stock. But yes, uh, as you and I pointed out to our Twitter followers today, there is a box that says, ask a question. You will not be allowed to yeah. ask any questions. And I enjoyed your question. Uh, can you give any granularity on what hair care products George is using today? But yeah, because if, if, if anybody who's listening to this, hopefully you know what George Barrios' hair looks like. And it's just, it's amazing. And I just want to know what kind of hair, hair products he uses. And they never answer my question. So. He's CFO of the year, you know. A lot of, I, I can't believe they didn't advertise this. He won like CFO of the year from like a Connecticut, yeah, it was like a Connecticut business organization handed out plaques to like five people. And he was one of them. And I posted be about award, it. Award winning meant- CFO. Yeah, so I, I figured we would have an award-winning CFO, just like you know every every it, it's what I think I'm most amused by call over call is the lottery of strange metrics that they're going to bring up in their press release, and we didn't have number of minutes of engagement, we didn't have viewer satisfaction, we didn't have um, you know uh, total hours consumed over the quarter. And sometimes they'll bring up these, you know, just crazy stats that none of us can make heads or tails of, but sound so absurd to us when they're like 91% satisfaction and yet 455,000 people a quarter are quitting your service or where they'll say, you know, the average viewer watches 28 hours and you're like, really? 28 hours of programming? How is that possible? So I was sad that we didn't get too many of those. Worse word. The one today was like we, we've been rated number two next to Netflix or something like that by some. I don't know, yeah, that so they were like <laughs> we're number two if you ignore Hulu and Amazon, and I was like, what are you talking about? Uh-huh. That means you're number four, right? They're like, no, we're number <laughs> two in streaming services, and I, I was yeah, that was a great example of of uh, one of the little things they do. I. I'm trying to think what there is left this quarter for them, you know, next quarter to talk about. I Again, I think it's going to be pretty boring, but I'll ask you the same question I asked Keith. 2017, they want to get to $100 million of OBITA. What do you think propels them there? What gets them there besides the TV deal going up a little bit more next year? Um, I think what you said with Keith sounds good, volume. They'll, they'll, they'll end up running more shows because they'll have the brand split for the entire year rather than about half the year or maybe even less than that this year they'll also have nxt shows maybe even more nxt shows i'm talking about the outside florida ones so they have more live events and i think you found right they only needed to draw like two thousand people to a live event for it to really break even and they're doing that just about every time at least on the main roster uh tv rights are going to escalate even further right the network i think we can expect mod, you know moderate growth on the network I, i've kind of like said to people you know, casually like I, I don't buy wb stocks i think it would be probably a conflict of interest for to be you know talking about it and writing about it all the time uh and then own the stock but I, I think WWE is a, is a pretty good investment right now at least up until probably the end of 2018 because you know well they're they're predicting 100 million Libda, maybe we'll get it um, but it's, it's a very stable company. I mean, they've got the guaranteed TV rights deal. They've got, I think, the network. You know, it'll it'll grow some. Maybe not a lot, but it'll it'll grow some. And 
why the vents will probably grow. These fans will get more niche and, and more hardcore. And I think fewer people or the same amount of people are going to put the same or, or more money into the company. Um, yeah. You know, and, and when you look at it, if you were to really look at the biggest risks to the company, um, for me, I would say the number one risk is Vince McMahon passing away suddenly and, you know, any kind of a vacuum that creates. Number two is a very unfavorable legal decision for them uh, in any of these uh, concussion lawsuits or in these royalty rights lawsuits that would um, inevitably be appealed, but, you know, could have some kind of huge ramification to them. And especially in a concussion situation, could have some pretty bad uh, PR for them. Uh, and number three, you know, you'd hate to see. Obviously, a Benoit type situation is is the always the worst case scenario. And you know, you never want to believe something like that's going to be possible. But uh, it, it's always on the back of your mind. Thing. Yeah, but you know, it, a major abuse scandal that tarnishes their their image from a superstar you know and and you know brock lesnar failing a ufc drug test some people would have thought a year ago hey that's going to be really bad news uh we've seen how absolutely you know nonplussed the company is about it uh to say that there's absolutely nothing to that story in terms of their ability to be worried about the the fallout from it but is there any other big fallouts that you're thinking of um that you know would be a major detriment to the company that you could forcibly see? I mean, obviously Stephanie McMahon and Paul Levesque get divorced and move away is, is <laughs> crazy, but let, let's go besides something like that. Is there anything else you're thinking of? I don't think so. Um, I mean, even I, you know, I've done, done some research on John Cena. If John Cena stops working house shows completely, they would maybe lose a, a few million dollars in a lot of attendance uh, revenue. Um, I mean, that's the thing with, with WB. It's a very strong business. You know, everybody likes to say that the brand is the draw. So they're not really reliant terribly on, on one, one star. Um, now, I, 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 I really think while Vince McMahon, uh, if, if he you know, suddenly had a health problem or he suddenly passed away, there could be some bad things that happen. You know, I, I still think there could be, could be some good things that could happen as well. I think the risk kind of goes both ways. I think a lot of what keeps WB in its, its constant state of, of mediocrity is, is the creative limitations that he puts on the product. Yeah, I guess looking at something like Apple stock when Steve Jobs died or something like that and just say, you know, did a company, how did it bounce back from that kind of situation where you had a charismatic leader that was gone and you had to, to figure out, you know, what would this mean now? But you're right in the sense that, you know, some people have argued Wade Keller said something on, on Twitter today to me saying, uh, essentially, if they worried more about marketing themselves towards wrestling fans, they would be more successful as a company. And that their downfall right now is the fact that they're trying to market themselves to anything but the wrestling fans that are still watching. And I, I have mixed feelings on that, but there's certainly a, a ring of truth to it in the sense that, um, I sometimes subscribe to the WWE network, but I don't turn it on for long periods of time because it, it yeah. doesn't captivate me. I think the Cruiserweight Classic was the last thing that really captivated me. I did turn it on to watch, you know, uh, the the three way before the presidential debate and stuff like that. But for the most part, 
yeah, it, it can be very miss television. And there is something to be said that they need to make sure it's captivating. I would love, I, I mean, I was thinking about this earlier. I would love if they live streamed the WWE call every quarter and it was just an on-demand event, a financial, <laughs> you know, it's just a yeah. videotape of them doing it. And then as silly as that would seem, I, you know, it's one of those things where it's that's the niche of the niche it. of the niche. For sure. Well, you know, my I, I've said it before. My ideal show, when someone asked me a long time ago, what what kind of programming do you do with the WWE Network? My ideal show was a a show that airs at two in the morning on uh, Saturday nights, and it's Vince McMahon in a chair and a bottle of scotch, and it's just him talking <laughs> to the camera, and he just talks about whatever the hell he wants to talk about, and we just get to see inside the mind of Vince McMahon for for forty five minutes while he sits and drinks and talks to talks to himself. And uh, we know he'd be up. So interviews that Vince has done are are kind of limited. Um, I've been kind of fascinated by by Vince McMahon trying to like find interviews from time to time, and and that's why so that Austin interview that really was the last interview of any length. I think he did one with with the Orlando newspaper um, before WrestleMania, or or when they did the WrestleMania announcement, maybe. But anyway. The interviews he does are not very many, so kind of like he's, he's obviously such a personality and such a character, but you don't really get access to him all the time. And then when you do, it's something like the Austin interview, where he says a bunch of things like, you know, you wonder like, what is this guy thinking? You know? Well, it's it's like the conference calls. That's the only time you hear Vince talk, probably the most of the right. entire year, out of character and at least. Most as of not the a talking. Yeah, and I mean, it's funny because whenever Laura Martin calls, she'll always say, this question is for Vince. And then she'll ask some super technical question that you know he has no idea about. And I just wish yeah. we had that video feed to see the room where the two of them are looking at each other. Because <laughs> it's like one sure, time sure it was something about like – Yeah, it was it was something about like uh, YouTube engagement return rates or Facebook or something, Facebook video views and i just thought vince mcmahon does not have an in-depth working knowledge of facebook video views right now and i love the idea yeah. of him trying to answer that question but uh yeah there, there's been a lot of uh, uh interesting turns here with this brand split do you think next year we're going to see less pay-per-views than the number they've announced so far do you think at some point that's going to be a cost-cutting measure maybe i you know like they, they know all their analytics and I, I would think they're i'm sure they're watching that very closely so if they see that it's not really worth it, if they're not getting, if they're not getting a, a lot of new subscriptions around all these pay-per-view events to make them worth doing, then you might as well do fewer, I think. So we could see that. Um, they've got, what were they on track to do? I think 19 or 20 in the year. Um, I was looking at, at the, the previous eras of pay-per-view when they had the brand split or didn't have the brand split or when they had it, but the pay-per-views were still both brands or whatever, and it seems like maybe you can make an argument from, from the data I saw that the optimal number of pay-per-views might be 15 or 16 per year if you really wanted to stretch yes, it out and, beyond 12 per year. And that's where they went when they had, I think it was 2006 or so, was like 16 they did in a year, and was kind of the peak in terms of the last good pay-per-view year for them. Uh, for sure, where they were kind of maxing out on not a ton of buyers, but enough buyers at that high price times that many times in a year. Um, I, I do always, you know, remind people if you go back to, you know, what is it, 2000 or 2001, probably 2000 or 99, where if you added up all the WCW, ECW, and WWF pay per views at the time, 
not to mention UFC or something like that, which was, you know, of course, in the Dark Ages, uh, it would be really interesting. You know, can you imagine? Because there was the Dave Meltzer's of the world who were ordering all of these things at, you know, 40, 50 bucks a shot and uh, watching them all. And so you could, you know, back in those days, be watching wrestling every single week or at least every other week for sure. Yeah. And so it's, it's kind of like sure. going back to those days in some ways at, at times. But yeah. I think the difference, it, of course, is the we've feel. Got, we've got right? Ring of Honor, we've got CNA and things like that that, that are sort of taking the place in the shadows of, of the WCWs and ECWs. And, and, and certainly at this point, we've got an endless supply of indies that you can watch all day long. I think you've got to... If you want well, to speaking of which, Flow of Sports. Right, right. Let me get your take on... On Flow Slam, Flow Sports, uh, we learned today that WWE invested about a million dollars in the company. Uh, Jeremy Botter was on Wrestling Observer Live and talked about, you know, this was something he kind of pitched to the company, and the company decided to get behind it, and they made this deal with Evolve. Uh, they're obviously throwing around decent money to be able to to really move on this stuff. Uh, your thoughts on... We're going to hear the next group of feds, and is it going to be a, a disappointment or a surprise? I don't know. I don't think they're getting PWG. I think PWG is, is set in its ways, and it's, it likes to do its DVD model as long as they're making money doing that. I don't think they're going to move away from that. And besides, as some people have brought up anyway, with them booking people from Ring of Honor and possibly TNA, could they even, you know, would, would they even have the right to do this? To, to be on the same show with a live stream because uh, they have the contracts and they say you can't be on somebody else's TV show or something like that. Um, exactly. This full slam, this full slam is like, it, it could be, it could be enough, it could be something that fizzles out or it could be something that really changes wrestling significantly in, in a lot of ways. Um, anything from just something that offers fans a, a, a heightened awareness of, of other promotions or, in, and even in the sense that it, it could create a greater competition for talent between everybody else and WWE. Um, and so WWE investing in this thing really complicates the issue. And you really got to wonder like, what, what, what are they thinking? What are their motivations? Why do they invest? Are they endorsing this program or this, this, this company? Are they really, do they really want to see it succeed? Do they just want to have, you know, I think someone said it might, might've been our, everyone's friend Robert on Twitter, when it's, they just want to have our arms length on this content. So obviously they did that survey where they asked uh, their fans if they were would be interested in indie content such as TNA and Ring of Honor. Um, so yeah, the but they is, also mentioned they, Dragon Gate USA, which hasn't been around for quite some time. So it, it does make you wonder what exactly yeah. was irrational. I do think what they invested in was a media sports streaming service. And they saw that things like, NCAA or not NCAA wrestling, but well, maybe it is. I don't know what amateur wrestling uh, events they run, but when they saw that was being covered, I'm sure the Gerald Briscoes of the world were, you know, in their ear saying, I go to these things. I recruit people from this. This is the sort of thing where there's a niche following, but go look at that. You know, the 60,000 will go to a, a university of Iowa meet or something. You know, there's something there. This is a money-making opportunity. Uh, you, Obviously, WWE has some couple million dollars that they just set aside for investments, you know, because they, they seem to push out a million, two million, two and a half million towards they've invested on Marvel Ventures, kind of a touring, you know, kind of imagine ice capades, but with superheroes, they invested in that. They've invested in um, Tout, famously. They invested in a, um, a web company uh, that did something or other. 
And, and so they've invested, you know, half a million or a million bucks a couple different times. Plus on their board, a lot of times, you know, some of the newer people that have been on their board, a lot of times you can find connections to the company that they're investing in kind of indirectly that so-and-so used to be on the board with so-and-so and it's their company. And so I almost wonder if Flow Sports might have even had a you know a board person who's in common with the wwe board of directors guy that might have turned them on to the idea i do think that this flow slam puts them in a weird position i had you mean of hey this puts you at arm's length because say you want to get czw streaming do you really think wwe network ever wants czw content on their network no yeah would they not. would like to make money off of wrestling <laughs> so there's yeah. always that chance that you can make money off something i would love if this kind of service were to even pursue old tape libraries you know go get an fmw library or something like that uh you know me to be able to, to sign up for something and watch debut tapes on my roku but that's just the the kind of hardcore fan i am and you know there is a small me that wants to sign up just to watch the marching band competition because my buddy loves marching band and uh i i can't get him to come over for a pay-per-view but he he would come over to watch a marching band. Yeah, so I, I could see WV being, you know, really for what what Flow Sports and Flow Slam is doing. But then, but then Dave said something I, on the board. Where he said, "I got it here. W is not happy that the price value has just skyrocketed. This is when the news just broke. Uh, and and if they want to get into the indie, indie content game, and they obviously did based on their surveys. So he's saying W is not happy about it. So like, which is it? I mean." Are they did they did they want this or did they not? Well, I don't think they wanted to have an, a competitor in the indie wrestling scene. I the more I thought about it, the less it made sense to me that they'd want a competitor. And I agree that it does push up the price of content for them. And as Keith yeah. was trying out, you know, adding Evolve was such easy fit for WWE because they already had a handshake of relationship with them. And it would be easy incremental content that is already being produced and you could be in a good situation. And now they're sort of locked out. I do worry about a company like this kind of spending big and and not necessarily going broke, but maybe pulling back after a period of time. Because it's scary to think that if there's only 8,000 New Japan World subscribers and I don't know, 80% of them are already on my Twitter feed. Um, what is, you know, what, how big is this audience for this? Because, you know, you got to imagine, you got to think of the Twitterverse as being the minority of the people that are out there watching and consuming this content. And yet, you know, with something like world, it, it feels like those are all the most connected people. And so flow sports, you know, what is the ability for this thing to get uh, for flow slam? Is it 10,000 people? Is it 15,000 people? I mean, that's a drop in the bucket to WWE. That's not even enough that they usually get that worked up about yeah and the, so the price point is is twenty dollars a month right or if you pay for a year in advance it's going to be twelve twelve dollars or twelve fifty or something like that right um yeah i, I was talking with someone someone the other day and we, we we sort of did some math about how, how much money could they really get let's let's be aggressive and say 20 million subscribers and that the, the money comes out to like three or four million per year so Obviously, we don't know that Flow Sports Inc. is not a public company, so we don't know a lot about the internal workings of their business or anything. But you know, I think, well, if they, they can generate a few million dollars out of this per year, you know, that might be enough to be sustainable. You know? I don't know what do you think. Well, you know, I went back to TNA. I said, well, how many people was TNA getting to buy their pay-per-views? 
And, you know, there was a point there where they were getting, you know, 10,000 people. How many did Jeff Jarrett get to buy the Global Force Wrestling Dome show? You know, that turned out to be a couple thousand people, I think, and then a couple thousand more on the app. And I think the, so the paper I, did like 10,000 buys, I think, right? I think that's what Okay, so said. yeah. So to me, that's, I feel like there's an audience of somewhere between ten and 20,000 fans that are willing to spend some money on a product like this. I do think you have to market aggressively. And the problem is micro niches where it's like, you know, the ice ribbon fans are not the same people as necessarily the, uh, the big Japan fans are not the same fans as the progress or the revolution pro and, you know, the elite Lucha and so forth. So it's, it's, they're all different groups that exist there. And it's tough sometimes to think, what will one service right. be able to get all these people involved or will it just be small niches of each? And then at that point you're having to acquire more and more and more content and streaming services have, have had such a hard go at it. Um, but you know, for all, you know, maybe they'll make a deal with high spots and just acquire that huge high spots streaming library that they have there. And when you give a huge platform to something like that, you could maybe get somewhere very quickly. So it's fun. I do think, you know, you're, you're around the world of independent wrestling pretty closely. You can probably imagine lots of promoters who would love to have their content on this, even if they weren't paid for it. They would even just kind of offer it up freely just for what they think of as the uh, uh, advertising it creates, just, right? Just just for the exposure, definitely. I, you know, I, I, I work closely with the one indie promotion uh, around here, and that's something we, we discussed quite a bit. It's just like, well, why don't we just broadcast things live on, on Facebook, even if it's not a great shot, it's at least going to give us some exposure. Maybe it'll get shared around and it'll get more attention on the promotion. Um, oh, I remember yeah, T- 2CW used to do that a lot where they would have free shows uh, streamed from upstate New right. York and, right. you know, people would, they people would the, watch. They did, they did one or two free pay-per-views and then they did one that was, that was 10 bucks, I think. Did you ever hear how they did on that? Uh, Apparently not well enough that they did, did more of them and continued to be in business because they're not in business anymore. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 heard, I heard it was quite expensive to to, to get the technology there to, to to stream that live. And and now now we're talking about something that happened two or three years ago now. And 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 now I can take my iPhone and stick it on a tripod and and shoot live video to Facebook or YouTube. You know, like right now. Yeah, we're in a we're it's 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 a paradigm shift and the ability for people to to still cost so i agree with you there's a um i i i just wonder if flow slam then gets itself into a position where they have to almost regulate uh you know the quality of what they want to be involved with um because it's always going to be a quality yeah. versus quantity you know i i went to the indie wrestling channel uh on roku with a uh, uh, bobby shields uh indie wrestler uh, a couple weeks ago when he was in town and we just sat there and watched uh bushwhacker Luke versus somebody uh, do a 15 minute match. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I'll tell you, there's Bush a lot of content Luke's that's already still out there. Bumps, man. He's still bumping. He, still he takes, bumped takes for 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Blew my mind. This man is like 71. Right. Uh, Butch is like using a walker to get around, right? He's like, he can barely travel and stuff, right? Uh, that's what I believe. Yeah, it was insane. So, yeah. you know, there is some free content out there. If anyone's listening and and wants to uh, uh, get some free content, you can check out the. It's I think it's called the Indie Wrestling Archive or Indie Wrestling Channel. It's on Roku and a whole bunch of 
Coventry Pro and all these other uh, West Virginia feds that you will entertain yourself with. But uh, it's some good stuff. Um, Brandon, uh, let's get some plugs in here for uh, Fightfully and everything else that you've been writing for. Yeah, I, I write uh, exclusively for Fightful.com. They, they, they cover pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. Um, I, I Generally, I, I write about wrestling business. Uh, I, I did a, a long piece also. I went to Brooklyn for all the SummerSlam events. I wrote a, a long two-part piece about. Um, but yeah, that, that you can follow me on Twitter at a decorative drop. And I, I tweet lots of business thoughts. Generally, just, you know, the outlook of, of, of the pro wrestling industry. That, that's something that really interests me. So, yeah. Brandon, I'm I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're on Twitter. You, you're also uh, uh, the Pro Wrestling Sheets uh, Writer of the Year, right? Or oh, one yeah, of those contests. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, wait a minute. That, that's, that, that's a different site. Uh, the Sheet, sheet Sandwich. It's the Sheet, sheet Sandwich. I'm sorry, guys. I'm so yes. sorry. I was... <laughs> I buy this to to Les and Hugh. No sheet sandwich. Thank you. Yes. Uh, uh, but I'm glad you're tweeting so much because I come and go in waves. And and lately, I don't think I've been tweeting all that much uh, as I was working oh, a lot and I got really sick there. But uh, I, today was I like my, day my off bonanza. I take the day off. From work. This is my holiday four four times a year. I I've done it in the past and. Um, you know, next one's going to be year in results, so that's probably a good one to take off because there's a lot to say yeah. usually. Though I have till uh, was treat, it January like twenty seventh. Yeah, treat yourself like that. exactly. <laughs> Thank you very much for calling in, Brandon. My uh, my my once a quarter show uh, with my 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 special guest from England, from upstate New York, and I'm Mookie Ghana from Minnesota. So this is a a truly international affair. So it's a good time. Thanks a lot. So that was Brandon joining us all the way from Buffalo. Uh, I think we've covered a lot of what was been happening with WWE this quarter. Um, we didn't really go into the TNA bankruptcy stuff. Uh, I'll be really honest. I have, unless Bix calls in in the next five minutes here, other friend of the show. Um, I I just have not been closely following it. I've been following the WWE lawsuit a little bit and so maybe i'll use a few minutes here before i wrap up the show uh and again if if there's anyone left who really feels the need to call in it's 646-668-2171 um the wwe lawsuits what's been happening so started years ago you had billy jack haynes and he filed suit in oregon and then you have big russ mccullough and ryan sakota and other people file suit in california and then you have the family of joint the clown matt file suit in texas and then you have the family of viscera um file suit in i think tennessee and then you have uh vito lagrasso and uh evan singleton file suit in pennsylvania and you have um all those people filing suit in all these different places and eventually of course it comes out that essentially the same group of lawyers is is working on these cases and consolidating them all and they all get transferred over to connecticut and then uh, at one point, there's a threat that there's going to be all these John Doe people joining this case where they had basically sent a letter from the 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 Kairos Constantine firm saying, OK, there's going to be a, a lawsuit. I have all these other people that are going to join in. And WWE basically was alerted that there's four specific people that were going to be part of that. It was going to be uh, Blackjack Mulligan. It was going to be 
uh, Coco Beware. It was going to be Dynamite Kid, and it was going to be Ivan Koloff. So WWE basically sued them before they could sue them <laughs> and tried to say, you can't do this, and that's went through. And then most recently, there was the huge group of something like 53 plaintiffs who came out of the woodwork where you had everyone from Don Leo Jonathan to uh, the family of Axel Rotten to uh, Kamala. Uh, you had Jumping Jim Brunzel. You had Jimmy Snuka uh, through his wife. Uh, you had lots of different people joining this lawsuit. And so it has all been consolidated. It's all been mashed up into one big lawsuit. It's right now still called the McCullough lawsuit because I think that was the one to get transferred over to Connecticut. Um, and it's under uh, Judge Vanessa Bryant, who was also the judge who's handled many other WWE cases in the past and is, is familiar with this. And essentially, she ended up limiting um, before the new 53 plaintiffs jumped on board. She ended up limiting basically only to the people that were uh, hired after a certain period of time. And so it was really down to just Vita LaGrasso and Evan Singleton. And there was a bunch of depositions that were done. And a big debate going on between whether or not, uh, you know, Vito or I mean, Evan at one point didn't seem to know exactly why he was asking for a certain thing as part of the lawsuit. And so they were using that as fraud by the the um, the lawyers in terms of not, you know, but basically misleading their plan about what they were doing. Um, but it, it all came down to it was only after a certain period of time. Uh, and so far, the case has really been falling apart. Uh, because, you know, it would be things like Vito LaGrasso, Big Vito, uh, Crush Van Skull saying, oh, I hit my head on the cinema match with Regal and I got a concussion. And they show, well, here's the videotape and, and you know, do you, show me where you hit your head. And, of course, he doesn't hit his head. Or there was one where Evan Singleton said, you know, it never was warned about concussions, why they're bad. And they say, well, here's a videotape of our neurologist giving a presentation at NXT. And, you know, isn't that you sitting there right there listening to him talk? So there's been a lot of that. Um, this latest set of lawsuits that came in with these 53, essentially WWE went through and basically said, well, the statute of limitations for this is this, for this is this, there's a RICO, there's this, there's, uh, you know, FMLA violations, there's OSHA violations, there's RICO violations, but each one of them, WWE is arguing that either uh, it's not a private right of action, meaning, you know, you can't sue somebody else for them not paying taxes. The IRS is supposed to take care of that. So you can't sue on behalf of the IRS because you're not the government um, or you can't sue on behalf of OSHA um, or uh, WWE has said it's been too many years or the booking contract would have expired or the booking contract is governed under these laws or uh, uh, the statute of limitations is, was this, even for injuries would be this. Uh, and so forth for all these different claims. And so WWE is basically trying to get this whole batch of new people uh, removed. And there's very few of them that would fall under this new timeline restriction of, I can't remember whether it's 2009 or it's the last five years, you know, Chavo Guerrero Jr. would probably be the most recent worker of all of them. Uh, and they've used him several times as examples for um, basically saying, here's his booking contract. Here's how much money he made. Look how he kept making more money with us. How can you say we're, you know, a monopoly holding people down if we're still giving people more money as time goes on? Uh, so there's been a lot of, of movement on that. Uh, most recently, there was a sir reply that went back and forth about, you know, the plaintiffs for Ivan Koloff and Coco Beware and Dynamite Kid basically saying, show us the contract, show us the booking contract you had with us. You haven't produced the booking contract yet. 
Um, and so same with uh, uh, Billy Jack Haynes. We've never seen one of those contracts. Probably the oldest contracts we've ever seen have come from uh, the Owen Hart lawsuit years ago. Uh, we saw some of Owen Hart's earliest uh, contracts in the Ultimate Warrior lawsuit. We saw some Ultimate Warrior lawsuit contracts going back to the uh, early to the mid 80s. And uh, there's been one or two, you know, documents that I found in uh, WWE copyright, I'm sorry, trademark filings where they've, you know, had uh, licensee agreements from the 80s that I found as well. Or I found a copy one time of a Marvel um, Hulk Hogan agreement, you know, over the name Hulk. Uh, but not a lot of lice, not a lot of contracts in the 80s have shown up. And so there is probably some ambiguity about when these people were working for wwe and you know what paperwork people were necessarily signing or not signing back in those days but it, it just continues to tantalize us with the, the notion that they might have these enormous record keeping systems somewhere tightening towers that are accessible that have some amazing information of course going back to the SummerSlam payoff sheet for 1991 that is is probably my gold standard of just kind of an amazing little do document you can see being produced where it talks about the weather and the attendance and the notes and all the special codes that are being used and the different payoffs that they had and the draws and the advances and just kind of that pipe dream that you know someday instead of russian hackers stealing hillary clinton's emails maybe that's what they'll go after um the other lawsuit that's been going on is buff bagwell along with raven scott levy has sued WWE over royalties for the WWE network. And basically Bagwell's argument is that his WCW contract should have given him kind of perpetuity, not perpetuity, but, but, but royalty rights uh, again, under this language that said something along the lines of, you know, any new technology yet to be created uh, that would, would produce royalties for these wrestlers. And so it's, it was even WWE language in the early uh, 2000s and the late nineties, I believe. And so they're basically saying, okay, we deserve royalty rights. And at the very least, we deserve the ability to audit the books of WWE because that was also written into the contract. And WWE is basically countering with, well, you can't audit the books because we don't owe you any money. And then there's these legends agreements. And, you know, we get to see these statements where people are getting, you know, $5 or $100 a quarter for their appearance in god knows what and so occasionally there's questions about why is somebody you know why is buff bagwell getting a wwe vengeance 2006 dvd royalty uh and is it mean that it's bad record keeping or is it that there's a tiny little clip of something where buff is in it and that's why they're doing that and so it's it's kind of a fascinating uh conundrum in terms of uh what exactly they're going to decide and like i say that's probably one of the only risk um situations for wwe is say they had a serious legal uh, uh falling where they they lost a case and they would have to put aside a bunch of money for royalty rights you could see that maybe uh, impacting the stock negatively though i don't think it would bankrupt them by any means um the flip of it is the wwe has been very aggressively uh using jerry mcdivitt uh to fight these lawsuits and specifically has been trying to consolidate them and tried to consolidate all of them, including this royalties lawsuit. And basically it was found that no, that will not be consolidated with the other suits. So for that action, at least uh, the Bagwell royalty action seems to be separate from the concussion, wrongful death, Rico family, medical leave, payroll tax, everything else under the sun act that's been going on in the other case. Um, though I do expect that they will wind down the LaGrasso piece of the, 
uh, WWE lawsuit soon to WWE's favor. But this new group of 53 plaintiffs, there will be at least an attempt to kind of grind the system in terms of making each one of them try to get standing. Uh, similarly, it'll be interesting to see if Buff Bagwell can get a class action lawsuit for the royalties piece where he is able to set up and get these people. And I, of course, I would expect all the people that are in the other lawsuit to try to flip over. You know, you might have a guy like a Keo, uh, uh, Ryan Sakota, who might actually be a good candidate for the royalties lawsuit in terms of when he would have signed contracts and when he would have been around uh, to do things. So. It will be interesting to see if anything goes comes of this. Uh, WWE is just letting it kind of slowly move through. Um, we did hear, of course, that they did get a little involved in the TNA uh, uh, case at one point where they were making offers for the company. Uh, so it's not like that they are, you know, putting things on hold. They're continuing to barrel forward like they always do. Uh, but I have not seen any other major lawsuit action from WWE beyond, you know, the minor updates that seem to be going back and the quibbling. Uh, there's definitely been a lot of sniping at each other for the plaintiffs in it. So if you enjoy words like blunderbuss, blunderbuss uh, from Jerry McDivitt, uh, his filings are always chucked full of, of fascinating little uh, 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 quotes and uh, insults. And then, of course, uh, the the replies from the uh, the plaintiffs, things like, you know, if WWE's counsel were to stop disparaging the defendant's counsel, they probably could have kept to the page limits was one of the most recent uh, kind of uh, snarky comments. That so I post a lot about that on my Twitter page. You can also go to scribed, S-C-R-I-B-D dot com and go to slash Indeed Wrestling and you'll find lots of documents up there where I've posted lots of exhibits and lots of of the more interesting complaints along with, you know, just things like the Henry Waxman testimony and things of that nature that sometimes can, can kind of fall by the wayside and be harder to find. So I try to upload documents there. And sometimes I do it kind of quietly, in fact. So, you know, if you're curious about the Dean Ambrose auto accident in Florida that I've been kind of quietly tracking, you can go there and you can see all the documents I've been able to find on it there. So there's always information. Of course, pacer fees are killing me. You know, it costs me a couple hundred dollars um more than a couple hundred dollars a year i'm spending on baser fees so i write these articles and i do things like this podcast uh just to uh you know make a little money and uh this podcast obviously is something i do out of a labor of love and i really want to give out my my shout outs to my friends and to my colleagues who are kind enough to join me on this late night here calling in from the east coast and all the way from england uh professional wrestling wwe quarter three results like uh, Brandon says, next year, next month, next time, I will take the day off work because it was, oh, it's just so chaotic when you're trying to do two things at once and it just stresses you out, you know. But what doesn't stress me out is the opportunity to talk to each and every one of you here on uh, WrestleMomics Radio. Uh, we enjoy doing these shows. These are fun, especially when I have topics, when I have guests, when I have motivation. Uh, so, you know, if you enjoy them, please tell a friend. If you did not like them, tell someone you hate. Uh, you can always find me on Twitter at Mookie Ghana. I'm also uh, Improv Mookie if you ever want to read the stuff I do that has nothing to do with wrestling. So it's a lot of video games, NES, a lot of uh, Apple IIe stuff, and uh, occasionally talk about you know TV shows or improv comedy. Um, a lot of articles I've been reading, things of that nature. Uh, you can check me out there as well. I'm uh, WrestleNomics.com, indeed Wrestling.com. I'm back screwing around with you know large data sets and trying to find fun results you know about how many matches did this 
SD Jones work in 1974, that kind of stuff. So hopefully, you know, something will come of that as time goes on. But even if something doesn't, it's, you know, therapeutic for me. So uh, for better or for worse, that's what we're doing. And it's going to get cold soon. So I might as well wrap myself up in a, a thick blanket and have a good time with that. So from me to you, I hope you have a great night. And uh, always check out all the great content over at VoicesOfWrestling.com. You can check out some fun articles at WrestlingInc.com. Uh, of course, I got a plug at 4WOnline.com and read the Wrestling Observer there. And, uh, you know, Fightful.com, CagesideSeats.com. And so many other the the websites that are really doing some great content. And we live in a great era of citizen wrestling journalism. And uh I think it's it's only good. The more people in the uh more people in the pot, the uh the better the stew is gonna taste. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Calling all shoppers. This is one event you can't afford to miss. Kohl's 50% off sale this Thursday through Saturday. Take 50% off hundreds of items storewide. Plus, take an extra 20% off. Plus, take an extra $10 off your purchase of $50 or more. Plus, everyone gets Kohl's cash. Plus, Yes to You members earn triple points. Now that's the good stuff. Kohl's. Select styles offer valid 1027 through 1030. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details. 
In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and, and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.